You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, Harvest. Good to see you. Good to be with you again. I've become such a regular here in 2018. I preached here on January 14th. I'm here again to close out the year with you. I was here for a men's event, waiting to find my picture on the staff page of the Harvest Niagara website. Just going to look for that on Monday. So anyways, it's good to be with you and to be able to share God's word uh, with you. Again, we love uh, coming down here. And uh, your pastor and his wife, Daryl and Ruth, are uh, good, good, good friends of ours. And we're uh, grateful um, to God for them and uh, being friends with them, love their uh, family so much, and uh, grateful to God too. It might be odd to even say this, uh, but grateful to God too for this season uh, in their lives, that what they're going through right now, a little bit of a rough patch, and um, knowing this, that, and we're going to talk about this even a little bit in the message, knowing that it is for their good, and it is uh, for all of your good, and for our good, and uh, God is working out His plan in a pretty awesome way. And uh, Cheryl and I, my wife and I, are privileged to be walking through this season very closely with Daryl and Ruth and with your elders, and that's a joy and a privilege for us as well. And I do want to say also that you have uh, some pretty great elders here, and I hope you realize that. I hope you thank God for that. I hope you pray uh, for them, but as uh, I have had the opportunity to meet with your elders multiple times um, over the past little while, I'm just impressed, and I'm blessed, and I'm grateful to God Uh, that you have uh, these men leading you, and I would uh, say that your elders are my second or third favorite elder group uh, of all the elder groups I know. Uh, They can't have first, for obvious reasons. Um, That would get back to Barry, Uh, so I I don't want that to happen, Um, and those guys are my first favorite, and uh, then I was just, it's like a toss-up between Glasgow, but we planted Harvest Glasgow, so I really love those guys out there, so so Harvest Niagara's third, and uh, your elders told me. They're, they're pretty happy with that, actually. So, yeah. They should be first for you guys, by the way. If they're third for you guys, that's a, that's a problem. So, um, anyways, grateful for this opportunity. Um, and I'm going I'm to preach to you from a really super familiar passage in just a moment. I'm going to pray. But um, we're going to preach from Daniel 6. And our church has been on a journey. Uh, September through December, we did a 12-week series in the book of Daniel. So this is one of the messages lifted out of that uh, series. And again, it's a super familiar passage. I pray that God would just use this in all of our lives. And I know just in prepping it to be here this morning and deliver this message again, it was like God was pressing some things fresh in my own life as a result of, of all of this. And um, so let's pray together and let's commit this uh, time to the Lord. I, I know that this message and, and just what God has in front of us could be super helpful to us as we enter into a new year. So Father, thank you for this church. I thank you for the eagerness of those who have come here uh, this morning uh, to be the church, to be with the church, to hear the word of God, to worship together, to encourage one another. Uh, Father, I pray that you would bless and sanctify our time here now. It's not by accident that anyone is in this room right now, and you are working out your purposes for good. And so, God, I pray that as we get your word open, God, that we would be struck by the awesomeness of who you are, and our lives would be transformed again today. And we do pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You agree with that prayer? 12 or 13 of you agree with that prayer. So we'll do that. That was better than 9 o'clock, just like everything else, better than 9 o'clock. So 
All right, that's the last time I'm going to make that joke. All right, uh, how many people know Chuck Swindoll? You know Chuck Swindoll, radio Bible teacher, pastor, uh, Chuck Swindoll, Insight for Living. Uh, here's a quote from him that will get us started on this. A few things are more infectious than a godly lifestyle. The people you rub shoulders with every day need that kind of challenge. Not prudish, not preachy, just crackerjack, clean living, just honest to goodness, bone deep, non-hypocritical integrity. Now listen, if you know Chuck Swindoll, you wouldn't even need me to tell you that was Chuck Swindoll to know that he said that just because of the way he said it. But that last word is what really strikes me, and that's the word we want to focus on as we look at Daniel 6 today, and it is this word integrity. And in a world, the world that we live in that is increasingly just agree with me or not on this, but um, a, a world that's increasingly anti-Bible, anti-Christian, anti-church, anti-godliness, anti-all of these things. That's the world that we live in today. Anti, um, uh, really anti-Bible, but intolerant, intolerant of what we are as Christians and what we believe. We really need this matter of integrity ourselves, and we need it for each other in this cultural climate that we live in. We need to be people of integrity who will be uninfluenced by the relentless temptations that we face in this world to abandon our God and ditch the church and stop reading the Bible. And when we speak of integrity here, it'd be good to define it, just to get a sense of what we're looking at. It's a word that comes to us out of uh, its French or Latin origins, and it means intact, to be intact. By definition, to be whole, complete, or consistent. A building with integrity, for example, if something has structural integrity, it means that it has an internal consistency, and in terms of a building structure, it means that it's not going to fall down. It's pretty simple to understand. People of integrity would have the following as as qualities, um, honesty, impeccable character. They would hold and live out the highest moral principles. And those principles, those qualities would be the same inside as well as outside. In other words, I'm not just putting a show on. I don't I'm not just wearing a mask or putting on a facade. But what you see on the outside from me with these qualities, that's actually exactly the same inside of me as well. It is to have an undivided heart and actions that flow from that heart that are uncompromising. That's what it means to be a person of integrity. And, and this is exactly what we see in Daniel in, in chapter 6. A man of integrity who lived in a culture that was just like ours. In, in Daniel 6, by the time we get there, it's the Medo-Persian Empire... It comes hard on the heels of the Babylonian Empire where Daniel started out in exile. And if you look at what those two empires were like, the values and the characteristics of those empires all those hundreds of years ago, and you lay that against what our culture is like today, you're going to see like it's really not much different. We really do live in Babylon today. It's a culture just like ours. And we see Daniel... And his integrity hold him on course in the midst of that cultural climate. Even though the cost to him, as we'll see in Daniel 6, the cost to him was his very life. He had to put his life right on the line. And he makes it clear that his integrity 
was made possible not because of, and this is so important, not because of some inner fortitude that he had, not because he was so resolved in himself to live that way, but because his God made it possible for him to live with such integrity. The God he loved and served. Verse 23, in fact, so we're, going to read the, we're going to read through all the verses together, but verse 23 said he had trusted in his God. And that's why he was a man of integrity. And that's what we're going after. So in one sentence, here it is. When I trust God, I will be undivided in heart and uncompromising in action. That's what we want to go, and go, go after, and that's what we're going to see throughout this chapter. When I trust God, I will be undivided in heart and uncompromising in action. In other words, I'm going to be a person of integrity. What a great message heading into 2019, that I'm going to be a person of of integrity, and I hope some of us would be resolved before the Lord by the end of this message to actually live the next year um, in this way. And so, five affirmations that flow out of this statement we're going to be affirming that first of all, I can do everything right and things can still go horribly wrong. Do you think that's true? I can do everything right and things can still go horribly wrong. All right, let's read some verses here. Daniel chapter 6, let me read the first nine verses. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom." Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction." Boil this all down, Daniel finds himself on the wrong side of an unjust law. In other words, Daniel had some enemies, and to understand where these enemies came from is really to understand the politics or the history of the, of the period of time. The Babylonians, again, had ruled for a long time. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar from history and from reading the scriptures, and Daniel served under Nebuchadnezzar for all those years, and then Belshazzar, who was the great-grandson or grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, was ousted in a single night by the Persians who, inv who invaded. The Cyrus, king of the Persians, came in, took over the Babylonian Empire, and now the Medes and the Persians were now in charge of the uh, old Mediterranean world or the ancient world. And Daniel was now serving under this government. King Darius was a sub-king, if I could put it that way. Cyrus was the king over the entire Persian Empire. But Darius was given control over Babylon itself, or the province of Babylon, the old Babylonian Empire. 
And so he reported to Cyrus, but Darius was the guy that Daniel was now working for. And because Darius is a non-Babylonian running a Babylonian area, a, a city and a province, he used all the same bureaucrats, all the counselors, all the high officials, all the satraps were all Babylonians. And he was employing them in uh, the, the job of government to run this province on behalf of the Medes and the Persians. Well, somewhere along the line, of course, these people would all be known to each other. Darius wouldn't necessarily know them all, but Daniel would be known to all the high officials, and all the high officials would be known to him, and they didn't like him. And so they come up with this bit of political drama, this political intrigue to deal with the man they perceived to be their enemy who was now set above, not only as a high official above all the other satraps, but now the highest official of the high officials. And so they come up with this plan, and they become his enemies. Now, write this down just by way of application, just at this very point. If I love Jesus, Daniel loved the Lord with all of his heart, but if I love Jesus, there will be people who do not love me. Has anybody experienced that? If you love Jesus, there will be people who do not love you. Now, by this time, again, Daniel, if you track with the whole thing, Daniel's in his late 80s by this time. He's faithfully served in Babylon. He's now faithfully serving in, in Persia. He was described here as a man of integrity. Verse 3 said that an excellent spirit was in him. His enemies, verse 4, could find no ground for complaining. Even his enemies would look at his life, and they would agree, this is a man of integrity. In every possible way, we still need to get rid of him. No error, no fault was found in him. He would save himself later in the chapter. You can see this in verse 22. He says to King Darius after kind of like all the events of the lion's den are over, he says, I was found blameless before God. In other words, as best as I've been able, I've been living faithfully for the Lord. And then he goes on to say, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. In other words, I've been faithfully serving you, and I've done nothing to warrant any of this. In other words, as far as it is possible for a human being who is subject to the sin nature, do we have any human beings here this morning? Just raise your hand if you're a human being. It's a bit alarming that some of you did not raise your hands. Um, and among the human beings that are here, how many of you would say that you deal with the sin nature Got some of those in the room. And again, those who did not raise your hands, you are proving yourself to be sinners this morning. As far as it's possible for a human being subject to human, to, to human sinful nature, and Daniel is definitely that person, don't read into this that he's some kind of superhuman, perfect, non-sinning kind of human being. He's not, just like you and me. As far as it's possible, Daniel did everything right. He's living a life of integrity. And still things went horribly wrong. They say the thing is you and I can't control circumstances and we can't control the feelings and actions of others. We cannot, as much as we'd like to. We can't. And we have to accept the reality that, that most people in this world despise God and do not wish to live according to his ways. Even in a culture, and in Canada today, if you would survey Canadians, you would find that the vast majority of Canadians still believe in God. But if pressed, do you allow God to tell you how to live your life? Most Canadians would say, are you kidding me? No. I believe in him. 
but I'm not allowing him to lead me or to change me. I believe in God, but I want to live the way I want to live. Do you think that's fairly accurate for the neighbors and friends and people you know in this city? And so we have these people who are going to oppose those, even though they say they believe in God, they're going to oppose those who truly do believe in God and are allowing their lives to be changed and, and led by him. We, we live in a day when two words that really kind of characterize our culture today would be disruption. We live in a, in a day of disruption where all the normal systems of culture are being questioned, and we live in a day of outrage where everybody's offended by everything. That opposition, because of those two things, that opposition is much more active than it's ever been in the Western world. People are far more bold. They're more outraged by us. They want to disrupt the church in every way possible. That's the culture we live in. There are those who are not going to love us or like us and will actively oppose us. And so this first of, of five affirmations, is there's really no application point out of it. There's no like, okay, what's the action that I need to do here? This is really just for informational purposes for us. We have to acknowledge that we're going to be despised for our faith as Daniel was. And so when I do everything right and things go horribly wrong, I still need to do everything right. Did you catch that? When I do everything right and things still go horribly wrong, I still need to do everything right. And that leads us to the second affirmation. I will continue to be and do what I've always been and done no matter the circumstances. Now, this affirmation assumes that you are like Daniel, as best you're able, living a life of integrity. And so because I'm living a life of integrity and I'm seeking to be the same inside as out, I'm seeking to live for Christ because that's the thing that I'm you know, being and the thing that I'm doing, I want to keep being that and keep doing that. I don't want to compromise on that at all. All right, let's pick up a few more verses here now. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, so now this law is in effect, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God. Notice, as he had done previously. We'll come back to that. Then these men came by agreement. They found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Again, verse 10 is critical here. That phrase, as he had done previously, in other words, he's not going out of his way to be provocative. It's not like he's going, okay, the law was enacted, it's been signed, it's been given royal assent, so this is now a law. Now I'm going to go out and I'm going to purposely flout the law. I'm going to offend and break that law in a pretty obvious and public way. That's not what he did. This going and praying three times a day towards Jerusalem, opening his, this is the thing he had always done. There was never a time in his life when he hadn't done this. This was the pattern of his life. He's not doing anything out of the ordinary, and he's not trying to be unnecessarily provocative or to create a crisis. He had a relationship with his God, a 
passionate relationship with his God that he was pursuing. He was seeking him. This was the God that for Daniel had sustained him his entire life and now approaching the age of 90, he's, he's still seeking his God in the same way. And this is a God, he, 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 he was raised in his earliest years until age 14, 15 when he was carried off in exile in Israel, seeing the temple and going to synagogue on the Sabbath. And he was being devoted to that God. He was praying to the same God who was with him every step of that exile when he was taken away from his homeland and, and now lived the remainder of his life, 70-some years, living in Babylon, living in a hostile culture that was intent on taking him away from his faith. And he knew that his lifeline to remain faithful was, was his devotion to his God. He didn't have the temple. He, he couldn't go there for the feast. He couldn't offer sacrifices. There were no sacrifices for those 70 years. There were no feasts and festivals. There was no regular gathering of God's people. There were no synagogues. There was no, um, there was, there was no one reading the Torah so they could uh, hear it and, 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 and learn it. This was Daniel being faithful to his God in the midst of a trying situation. The God who had sustained him his entire life, who had saved him and forgiven him and heard his prayers, he would offer this God his devotion despite any threats, despite all circumstances. I mean, he was so devoted to this, in fact, that his enemies realized this was the only way they were going to trip him up because he was such a man of integrity in his work and in every aspect of his life. We're going to have to make something up that connects to his passion for his God because that's the one thing that we can put a hook into. And so once the law comes into effect, verse 11 is like the least surprising verse in the entire chapter. It's not surprising that the conspirators find, verse 11, Daniel making petition and plea before his God. That's now illegal. That's against the law. The circumstances of Daniel's situation changed dramatically once the Persian Empire came in. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had never asked for this. Nebuchadnezzar had never outlawed the Jewish faith. I realize he carried away the brightest and the best from Israel. I realize that he knocked down the walls of Jerusalem. I realize that he uh, raised the temple. But when he took all of the treasures out of the temple and he carted them back to Babylon and he put them in the treasury, but he never brought them out. There was some sense in Nebuchadnezzar that it would be wrong to do that. And it was only Belshazzar who actually brought them out and violated that and offended God. So this is all new for Daniel with the Persians. So here under Darius, who's trying to hold this province together under the Persian Empire at the bidding of these crafty local politicians, this law is enacted that violates Daniel's conscience. But circumstances wouldn't change it. That's integrity. I, I, I think about how susceptible I am to the fleeting whims of circumstances in my life. In other words, I am the happiest of Christians when blessing is flowing on me. I'm, my prayers are more robust. 
I love receiving the blessings of God. I'm a happier person in general. I like to speak about what God is doing in my life. But the minute that it starts to get a little more difficult and a little harder to see the blessings and trials come my way, all of a sudden, instead of lifting my hands in praise to God, I could be found shaking my fist at him, wondering, God, what are you doing? Why have you made it so hard for me? Am I just preaching to myself? Is there anybody else here? Is you're happier when it's good for you and, and, and a little bit out on God when it's hard? Anybody else? Okay, thank you. Thank you for that encouragement. And so here we have Daniel. Circumstances would not change him. That's integrity. He would continue to be and do what he'd always been and done. He had a heart aligned with God, actions that proved it. And again, as you're seeking to live this out in the culture that we live in, I love G.K. Chesterton is, is one of my favorite guys, especially for like these pithy little quotes. And, and it, he, he spoke and wrote about 100 years ago, the first part of the 20th century, he's a journalist primarily. And, and I love what he says because it speaks right into our culture 100 years later. Look what he said. Right is right, even if nobody does it. Wrong is wrong, even if everybody is wrong about it. And listen, in the face of a culture that is increasingly against what we believe as the followers of Jesus Christ, we have to stick with what's right, even if absolutely everyone around us is telling us something differently. We need to stick with what's right. And as our culture rapidly changes, this is not the time to compromise. This is not the time to recast our place in society. It's not the way, the time to find a more comfortable way to exist within a hostile culture. It's not the time to allow culture to influence us and change us. Listen, I am not one ever to speak against other churches slash denominations. But... But about 90 years ago, three denominations came together in Canada and called themselves the United Church of Canada. And over the last 90 years, the United Church has elevated one value above every other value, and that is inclusivism. In other words, we want everyone and anyone to be a part of our church. And so along the way, if that's what you're going to have as your value, you have to, of necessity, drop several things from the Scripture that are kind of exclusive in order to welcome absolutely everyone into the fold. Now, all of this came, for me, this came to a head back in November when, after two years of wrangling with a certain United Church minister in the city of Toronto, their church court, which they had convened to hear this case, dismissed all charges of whatever against this one particular minister and told her she could continue to minister in her Toronto pulpit in the United Church. What she was facing was a charge of being an atheist because she is an atheist. Now, I don't know if you're doing the mental math right now, but this is a church that says it still believes this and still believes they're a God, this is a denomination that is allowing a minister to stand up and do what I'm doing here today to lead a congregation of people who say they believe in God while she does not. 
I mean, I can't even get my head around it. But that's where compromise leads to. That's what happens when you allow the culture to influence you. So the United Church is no longer being and doing what it has always been and done because it allowed the circumstances to change them. That's not integrity. That's the exact opposite. Now listen, what Jesus wants for us is stated pretty clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16, this is what we read, that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. And, and salt flavors and, and influences and changes and, and light makes it obvious the direction you should be going and brings truth to situations. And, and Jesus is charging us to be the influencers of culture, not to be influenced by it. We're to influence people around us, not to allow them to influence us away from God. We do that by maintaining our integrity, by standing firm in the midst of the growing darkness around us, by casting the light of Jesus Christ into the culture. We do it by not cowering and not compromising under the pressure of those who hate us, not giving up on our values and our practices and our faith and our God. So Christian, continue to be and do what you have always been and done. And for us, as as a Harvest Bible Chapel, the values that we uphold, that we are to be about the unapologetic proclamation of the Word of God, the unapologetic preaching. And every one of us to be into the Word of God ourselves. I saw a tweet this week about LifeWay, the publishers down in the States, and after 10 years of surveying people, the massive conclusion that if you want to grow as a Christian, you better engage directly with the Word of God. And if some of you are setting out, you know, I'm writing down some resolutions, a new year is starting, and I really want to grow as a Christian. Listen, the number one way you're going to grow as a Christian is by getting into this book. And if you are not looking at a plan to get into this book, then you will be sitting here on the last Sunday of 2019, and you'll be saying, I didn't grow last year at all. Why not? I didn't get into the book. Engagement in the Word of God, the unapologetic preaching of God's word, the unashamed worship of God. You got to step up your worship. And what we had here is beautiful. And we need to be engaging in the worship of God, not just in corporate settings, but always unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. God binding us together as the church in love. When we make these the priority, the things that we have always been, the things that we have always done, then we'll be able to stand against this culture as a church and as the individual followers of Jesus Christ. All right, here's another affirmation. Ready for this one? I will see malicious people as agents of God's will in my life. I will see malicious people as agents of God's will in my life. All right, verses 12 through 15. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? But I don't know where these guys are coming from with this. All of a sudden, they're feigning ignorance about the law. I mean, let let me read it this way. They're coming up to the king and they're going, hey, king, 
Uh, didn't you sign some law or something? Wasn't there something? I, I, I seem to remember something about this. And there was like some kind of law that we're only to. They wrote the law. These are the guys who went to Darius and said, hey, I have a good idea. And now they're feigning ignorance. They're trying to pretend like it's not them. Anyway, it goes on here. The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, they're springing the trap right now. Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, he's a Jew. I mean, this is anti-Semitism right here. You read it throughout the scriptures. Pays no attention to you, O king. Okay, he's got, there's a little bit of a truth here, but there's a lie right here. They're mixing the two together. Pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. That part is the truth. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. Okay, why? Because he realizes what he's done. He realizes that he's been trapped by these Babylonian bureaucrats. So he's distressed and he sets his mind to deliver Daniel and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians. No injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. I mean, they've got the king in a really tough spot. Now, what's obvious to me from verse 10, if you go back to verse 10, is that Daniel knew about the new law. He knew these guys were out to get him. I mean, he's, he's the senior bureaucrat. He's, he's the head of the high officials. He's over all the satraps. They're conspiring and writing this law and talking to the king. There's no way he didn't know about all of this. And then that just raises a bunch of questions for me. Why didn't he speak up? I mean, it's pretty obvious how Darius felt about him. Why didn't he just go to Darius and say, hey, look, these guys are out to get me. You shouldn't sign this law. Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he defend himself? Why didn't he stand up to the bullies? Because this is the default setting that we have as human beings. If someone says something bad against me, I'm going to fight back. I'm going to defend myself. And in a culture of social media today where people are just like spewing all kinds of evil about people, the temptation is there to respond in kind or at least to defend yourself in some ways. I know I feel that temptation. John Milton said this about it. I will not deny, but that the best apology against false accusers is silence and sufferance and honest deeds set against dishonest words. A Christian with integrity trusts God to vindicate and does not take matters into his or her own hands. Verse 20, 24 says that these men were maliciously, maliciously accusing Daniel. And when I think about the person who was most maliciously accused, of course, I don't think of Daniel, but I think of Christ. We think about all the people in history who have faced injustice, and there's no one that stands out as a greater example than our Savior. These leaders that put the Son of God to death brought about a, an unspeakable injustice on Jesus. And God used those malicious people as his agents. Jesus was maliciously accused. Matthew 27, 14 says that in the face of these accusations, and he's facing Pontius Pilate, he gave Pilate no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. He's greatly amazed because we find out in the Gospels that Pilate didn't believe he was guilty of anything. 
So why wouldn't you defend yourself if the accusations are malicious? Well, the prophet Isaiah said, 53, 7, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus didn't defend himself. He was letting God's will play out in his life. And when we, when we think about how the whole thing played out, because you and I know the end of the story, and we, we know how Jesus was unjustly crucified, and we know uh, how he was treated before that. We know the false accusations. We know the betrayal. We know the beatings. We know uh, the, 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 the horrible shame that was heaped upon him. But we also know he was resurrected on the third day. We also know he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we also know he's coming again for us. We know that the vindication is already there. And so we look back on the situation and what we see in all of the unspeakable evils that were committed against him, what we see in that is the agency of God. God prophesied that. God allowed that. God ordained that. But see, Jesus saw that in real time. And so he stayed silent because he knew that all of that evil was being used to affect God's will. So Jesus is letting it play out. And Daniel, too, was letting his life of integrity speak for itself, and he was letting God's will play out and trusting the God he had prayed to unceasingly throughout his life. He was trusting God to work out whatever plan he had for him. And in both cases, God vindicated Daniel and he vindicated Jesus in amazing ways. I don't want to spoil the rest of the story, but Daniel didn't get eaten by the lions. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> Son of God was raised from the dead. Now, now if, we, if we mistakenly take this and then say, you know, if I'm unjustly accused and then I keep my mouth silent and I keep my integrity, then God will in this life vindicate me, that would be a false assumption because it may not work out that way for me and you. Many Christians, while maintaining their integrity, end up losing much. Many Christians maintaining their integrity lose family and lose friends and lose jobs and lose possessions. And many, many thousands who have maintained their integrity and, and not compromised Christ have given their lives as martyrs because they were unwilling to compromise on what they believed and they saw that what was happening to them was part of God's perfect will. Now, this is the very essence of the gospel played out in every one of our lives. The crucifixion of the sinless Son of God at the hands of malicious men would result in the defeat of sin and death and the offer of salvation being extended to all. Luke chapter 9, verse 22 the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised in order to save the world. And we embody that gospel. We're living out that very gospel so that every malicious, unkind, disrespectful person in your life, the one who makes your Christian life so hard to live, do you have a person like that? Every one of those malicious people, listen now, if we believe in the agency of God, then every one of those people is an agent of God to increase our patience and our endurance and build our faith and prove us finally to be people of integrity.
And if you can get there, and I'm not saying that's easy, then we can move to this fourth affirmation, which is, I will leave it with God to decide what's best for me. I will leave it with God to decide what's best for me. Verse 16, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually, there's the integrity again, deliver you. The stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. He didn't watch TV that night. And sleep fled from him. Now, God evidently thought that it would be best for Daniel, a man in his late 80s who'd spent his entire life being faithful to God, God would decide that this man's end would be in a lion's den being torn apart by these beasts. I don't get that. I don't get that. Now, it reminds me of about the time I was preaching this. In fact, the week before I preached this message at home, there was the story out of Pittsburgh of this, um, this shooter, this hate-filled anti-Semitic shooter who went into a synagogue in Pittsburgh. I think it was called the Tree of Life Synagogue. And he shot 11 people, including 97-year-old Rose, Rose Malinger. 97 years old. Shot and killed. Did God decide that in that moment, after a lifetime, she's just there at the synagogue to, to be with fellow, her fellow Jewish believers and to hear the Torah read and to share in community with them and a peaceful, beautiful thing to be doing? And God ordains that she should be shot on that day? I mean, I hear stuff like this, and I don't know about you, but it's at this point that I normally judge God. Why, God, would you allow this? What were you thinking? So much injustice in the world. So much personal heartache, and, and we wonder what God is doing sometimes. We question whether or not he's really in control of all of this. My personal heartbreaks likely don't stack up to what many of you in this room have faced in your lifetime. I, as a pastor, have walked through the valley of the shadow of death with many, many individuals and families over the years. And I have often wondered what God's purposes were. And I have often been at a loss for words. Wondering what God was doing. A week before Christmas, not even a week before, days before Christmas, I was in the living room of a young couple who had a stillbirth on Thursday. They love Jesus. They're faithful to Him. Two of the most faithful people we have in our church. They have lovely spirits. They lead a small group, and they're leading that small group so well. I don't know. There's a woman who comes to our church. We have a few people who come to our church. They use the accessible transit. They're confined to wheelchairs. Why is a person in a wheelchair for an entire lifetime? I don't know. 
Cindy comes in and, and she, her chair is usually like around this area. So I can see her while I'm preaching right here. And she has cerebral palsy. And she's confined to that chair and it's not getting better for her and she just turned 60. And she sent me an apology note recently. She said, Pastor Todd, I'm just, I'm so sorry, but um, my CP is just getting the worst of me right now and my neck is craned right over and her neck is, her head is like right over here now. And she says, I just don't want you to think I'm sleeping while you're preaching. I'm thinking you're apologizing to me. And I'm wondering why God's allowed you to be in that chair your whole life. I wonder what God's purposes are, why children have died, why some are in wheelchairs. I felt the helplessness when someone has taken their own life and I've done the funerals. I wonder why accidents happen. I wonder about God's timing of things. I wonder why we thank God, thank you for safety on this trip, thank you for not bringing us harm, and then I wonder why on some occasions you didn't protect us. And harm did come, and lives were lost, and tragedy happened. I wonder if this isn't the hardest thing to accept about our God. That He will decide what's best for me, and that I must simply trust Him. To, to really believe what Romans 8.28 says... By the way, Romans 8.28 is a lousy verse to bring out when you're meeting with the person in the midst of their tragedy. You don't bring it out right then and tell them, oh, something good's going to come. They're just broken. This is the kind of thing, like if you're on this side of a trial before the next trial comes, lock this in now and believe it now and it'll carry you through. But it's not super helpful in the moment. Romans 8, 28, that for those who love God, this room's filled with people who love God, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I need to get to the place where I can say with confidence because I can't understand the particulars of the moment. I can't understand the pain right now. But I could get my head around a bigger thing that God is trying to do. And so I need to say with confidence, Roman, Romans 14, 8, let's look at this verse. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Paul also said to live is Christ, to die is. In other words, it's not about the living or the dying. It's not about the circumstances of my life. It's not about the pain and the sorrows and the losses. It can't be about what I see. In fact, I think it's so helpful sometimes to take these verses that are written in plural pronouns and make them super personal for me and make it singular so that I could rewrite Romans 14, 8 this way. If I live, I live to the Lord. And if I die, I die to the Lord. So then whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's. Then I'm getting my eyes off of anything else around me and focusing solely on Him. I mean, if Daniel had acted on the basis of what he saw, what he saw was malicious men who hated him and wanted him gone. What he saw was a law that was unjust. What he saw was a den filled with lions. 
And if you act on the basis of those things, you cannot maintain your integrity. So you have to leave it with God to decide what's best. He had to look past all of those things and trust the God who, and I love this line out of Daniel 2, 22. Tell me if this won't serve you well going into a new year. Because 2019 is complete darkness to us right now. Not a single person in this room knows what's going to happen in 2019. And Daniel 2.22 says this. He knows what's in the darkness. He knows what's in the darkness. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And I'm always going to ordain what's best for you. So leave it with God to decide what's best. When you trust Him, when you have an undivided heart, when you're uncompromising in action, you'll affirm this finally, that you will praise God for any rescue and blessing you receive. All right, verse 19. And this is actually the best part of the story, right? 19, then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. I mean, he's got hope inside of him because Daniel's life had just so promoted God to him. And as he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. The British would say, God save the king. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found in him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men, okay, this part's a bit PG-13 for violence, just be aware. The king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and language that dwell in all the earth. Okay, I, I want you to imagine right now the Prime Minister of Canada standing in the House of Commons declaring this proclamation over our country. Have you got that picture right now? Okay, you got his picture? Imagine him saying this. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So things turn out well in this life for Daniel. God had a purpose in that, and most obviously that we would read this narrative and uh, be strengthened and built up in our own faith as a result. Dar Darius had spent this restless night fasting, hoping that Daniel's God would come through for him. He had said as he was being lowered into the lion's den, he expressed some at least sense of of faith or hope for Daniel. May your God, whom you serve continually, there's the integrity again, deliver you. Not surprisingly, he goes the next morning and he runs there to see what the result is, still with some hope inside of him. And through it all, what you see are these references to God. 
Darius himself is saying, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, verse 20, has your God whom you serve continued being able to deliver you from the lions? There's never a moment in this narrative where God is not front and center. Not even in Darius's mouth, this pagan king, because Daniel's life has been so exemplary that it's just kept pointing to God. Even Darius, this pagan king, knew who the hero of the story was. And he knew it wasn't Daniel. The consistency of Daniel's life, his integrity witnessed to the existence and power of God to a pagan king. I want you to think about that. Would God say that about you? Does does your life of integrity, does the consistency of your life in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, with your extended family, and even in this church, is the consistency of your life and your integrity witnessing to the existence and power of God? Well, Darius gets a pleasant surprise, and Daniel calls out in response, saying that he hasn't been harmed at all. He's brought out from the lion's den. Things don't go well for the maliciously, the man who maliciously accused him. And then Darius continues on with this exultation and this, this, this proclamation of how great God is. He worships God. He pronounces this edict. The people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. He spoke these words of worship. And Daniel, for his part, prospered. And God had a purpose in all of that. But even if God had not rescued Daniel, he would have died with his integrity and he would not have compromised before his God. And if I could borrow from another Old Testament narrative, Job said in the midst of his own pain and suffering, this is Job 13, 15, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he takes my life, and Job is talking about God, Though he takes my life, I will hope in him. I will praise him. I will worship him. I will speak of him. I will serve him. I will never stop praying to him and praising him no matter the circumstances. I will go to my house and I will throw open the windows and I will pray to my God and give thanks to him as I have always done and nothing will keep keep me from it. I will say, God, no matter my circumstances, I will look to you, the one from whom my help and my hope comes. Let's pray together. Again, Father, I want to believe that you have appointed this day and this moment, this passage, and these people to be here because you want to do a work in each of our lives. You want to change us and transform us. You want to make us people of integrity. And you want our lives to not only stand for something because that's the right thing, but you want us to be salt and light and influencing the people around us. There's so much at stake. The mission that you've entrusted into our hands, this city, St. Catherine's Niagara region is filled with 
Hundreds of thousands of people don't know you. They're lost. They're being drawn away from a culture that's increasingly me-centered and pushing you, Father, to the margins. It's up to this church and others like it to be salt and light. So God, do what you need to do in our lives. Move by your Holy Spirit right now to bring conviction in the lives of those who need to repent and need to change some things. And Father, send your spirit to encourage and build up those who are already living lives of integrity. Strengthen them for what's ahead. Father, we trust you. You are a God who knows what's in the darkness. So help us to be faithful and to serve you with all the passion that we can bring. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.